Hello and uh, welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Kuchua and I'm joined once again by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Alex, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Good to, good to hear you and to see you. How are how? It's been, yeah, it's been yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah, we've been, we've been busy. We've, uh, we've let a couple of these weeks go by without bringing uh, a new episode to the masses. Uh, but we, we do have a good one today. We um, have a guest. Uh, we've been on a streak of inviting really interesting guests to our show. And uh, today's guest is uh, someone that we've been really excited to talk about for a while. Um, Mara Segeta, uh, she is the co-founder of Branch and currently their VP of Marketing. And uh, Mara, welcome to our show. We're really excited to have you here to uh, speak to us about all things mobile marketing. Thanks for having me. So exciting to be here today. Um, Branch, uh, just for those who don't know, is a mobile marketing and deep linking solution. Um, it's trusted by a bunch of brands all over the world. Um, you guys deliver um, seamless experiences that help um, increase ROI, decrease uh, wasted spend, and eliminate siloed attribution, which is a non-trivial thing to do in, uh, in the mobile marketing environment. We'd love to hear a little bit um, know from you on on how you guys started when when did you first identify the need for for branch and uh, what was the problem that you were trying to trying to solve maybe just tell us a little bit of kind of that initial thought process as you were um, on, sure. a, on, on the founding team and maybe what the first iteration of that product looked like yeah so once upon a time three business school students sat in a room and tried to come up with an idea and like like regular business school students, and they came up with an idea, and it was photo printing photo book printing apps. Not the best idea. This is what business school students come up when they sit in a room and ideate. And uh, actually, we started with Fitbit for dogs, that then transformed in photo book printing apps. And we decided that we were going to build this app, and we did. And for our whole second year in business school, we ended up selling photo books. Um, I have seen many babies and edited many babies. <laughs> um, and, you know, like we tried to build an app and we, the ups and downs of, we were very, I would say, um, naive, like many entrepreneurs are. We thought that we were all engineers, even though we were in business schools and we had this idea, we thought we were like, oh, we're going to build it and it's good. They're going to come. None of us had actually done sales or marketing before. We were engineer. We we're doing engineering and product, and you know we we launched the app and no one came, <laughs> and then we were featured in best new apps and we're like, oh my god, we're a rocket ship ship, and you know the feature ended and no installs, so we really struggled to build um, growth for our app. So we were trying to build referrals, and I was you know I was doing a lot of ads, and trying to figure out who our market was by like. A-B testing every single person on Facebook and seeing who clicks on our ads. And we figured out that teenagers in long distance relationships and mothers with their first child between zero and three were our perfect target audience. But they behave very differently and they use the photo books for very different reasons. And I wanted to give them different relationships in the app and there was no way of knowing like, where did they come from? Uh, and I was like, this is crazy. I must be able to know when someone comes from an ad insta app install, if they came from the photo book campaign for from the mom campaign or the teenager campaign or if they came from a referral and there was no way and i thought it was crazy so i kept bugging alex our ceo um who was coding being like hey there must be a way to pass stuff through install and he's like dude there isn't but he started looking into it 
and he found a way and he was like kind of fixing that for us and we realized that like by us asking so many people we realized that this was a huge problem i had a friend who worked at zynga at the time and he's like zynga grew so much on facebook because of virality, because you would invite fr a friend and get five gems. And you couldn't do that on mobile because you couldn't know where someone came from and give them the gems. So I was like, oh, wow, if we solve this problem for us, we could solve it for other people. So I remember Alex and I were on a weekend kind of ideating and we came back and we told our other two co-founders like, oh, we came up with this new idea. We ended up selling the photo book and branch started this was eight years ago and we started with the organic side basically linking and passing information to install and then we kind of like evolved to having the mobile attribution side and being able to also measure on the organic side and then on the ad side as well and that was how it all started not an ideation idea in a room but actually a real need that we awesome. faced <laughs> That's such a great, that's just such a great origin story. You, you try to do one thing and then you're like, well, let's just fix this small thing that shouldn't yeah. be a problem. And then that became, that became so many, so many companies start this way. I feel like, you know, one advice I have to entrepreneurs, they're like, we need the perfect idea. I'm like, okay, it took us two years to get to branch, but we build a team and like, you don't, you just need to start and you will find the right idea. So yeah. I, I enjoy, I enjoyed how you, um, you, to find your perfect audience for your photo book, you A-B tested everyone. And you came down to two quite remarkably powerful users of people who need to yeah. like we print out. Books. Yeah. Like, yeah, who use photo books the most. I thought that was, that's, that's, I mean, that's quite a remarkable way to get there. I'm trying to find your perfect uh, product market fit. <laughs> Through ads, which I think is very interesting. If you A-B test enough ads, you'll learn who actually wants your product. Facebook that's is an amazing tool in that way. I'm going to write that down. Uh, I need to remember that. You can do less. This was the time before some of the issues and you could do amazing targeting. Now is, you know, it's not as crazy as it was then. Um, but, I, you know, at the time you could. But even now, even though it's not as intense, you can still use the same and maybe your target will be slightly bigger. How, how has Branch evolved um, from sort of like your inception of, of, you know, two years worth of work to figure out Branch and then eight years ago to now? Because lots have changed, not just, I'm guessing, with Branch, but the, the world in which Branch yeah. exists, going from the Wild West of mobile advertising to, uh, to where we are now with the, the rise of privacy. Yeah, I think it's been an interesting, um, Alex, as my, my co-founder already says that, we're in the fasting moving ecosystem on the planet and, you, you know, urgency and grit are two of our values because the only way you can survive and thrive is if you're extremely adaptable to market changes. So I think in some ways, privacy has been interesting for us since a lot of the changes that happened, like Apple changed from your eye schemes to universal links and the whole linking infrastructure changed. Um, Google introduced app links and those are really big changes and big shifts and then I think with the changes in iOS 14 and 15 there's a lot of changes in how you both link and attribute so in some way um, you know you you when we predicted the beginning we actually thought that linking would become commoditized by now and we felt oh linking we had to build new products which you have but we always thought that linking would be a commodity 
and it was hard then but at some point everyone was going to be able to build it and we were wrong um the linking is not a commodity it has become more and more complicated and the standards have changed and there's always like this like edge cases so most companies who go and build linking in house um they usually capture about 70 60 to 70 percent of the use cases and, and the other 30 percent of links on mobile like don't work don't take people to the app because you know, like Facebook doesn't prevent from app from being open or like there's a wrapper around the link in an email. So link email to app doesn't work. So there's all, all these edge cases that we come and we help solve and we make sure your links really work, always work. So when there's a change like private relay that doesn't allow something like fingerprinting, we build something called native link, which allows you to use user input to make how to pass that information to install. So we kept like adapting to the market and I think that's where that's what helped us be where we are right now. So we uh, we move from being just a purely developer solution to also being an enterprise solution. So we work with very big companies today on linking and on attribution on both organic and paid side. And um, you know we basically in in our in our way we actually have like two products. One is a mobile linking platform, and then the other one um, is a mobile measurement platform that helps you like measure your your paid ads. Uh, and a lot of that was, you know, built, we acquired a company called Tune and we built that side of the business as well. I, I actually wanted to before, to ask you maybe to level set for our listeners who might be um, thinking about um, app marketing and mobile marketing. Um, what is kind of like, what are the foundational pieces of that ecosystem um, as compared to, for instance, regular or desktop marketing, right, where people generally know that you use platforms like GA or, you know, some enterprises switch to other platforms. What are, you know, you mentioned a uh, mobile marketing platform at MMP, you mentioned deep linking, obviously, or linking. Um, can you just kind of draw a picture for, of, of, of you know, of, of what these um, table stakes look like? Yeah, so I think, you know, like linking measurement are extremely important when you think about how do you take people to the app and how you mm -hmm. measure how you got people to the app. And then you have um, in-app um, engagement platforms that actually help measure uh, how someone is reacting and interacting with your app. And that is different than Google Analytics because the way an app is structured is different than has just a website. So you need kind of a different tool. And then you have like re-engagement tools that help you re-engage people through push notifications, um, uh, in-app messaging, etc. So you kind of like almost have like similar things that you would have on the web, but things that work across web and app. So I think what's, re what's really interesting and I think where Branch really fits and some of our partners really fit is like, it's not, there's not no longer a web versus app. Um, and if you're a marketer and you have something that only works on the web and something that only works in app, it's very challenging to measure how a campaign is doing because you don't know where someone's going to open the email. Will it be on desktop? And maybe in that case, you should take them to your website or will it be on mobile? In that case, you should open an app because apps perform much better than websites. So you need a platform that helps you with attribution, with with with, with in-app, with like measurement, but all of it, it's a cross-web and app. And we, we call ourselves, um, you know, cross-platform measurement platform. Uh, and it's it's mobile, but it's not just mobile, right? Like when we, when we look at like, uh, where people open things or how they how they get to certain places we we do give um, measurement across web and app if you just do app only 
uh, and I know some of our competitors are more focused on the app only, uh, like gaming, for example, that um, it's just a little bit different, right? Versus like the big e-commerce, travel, pretty much every other industry is no longer app only. It really is uh, cross up an app. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I think that helps um, set the set the ground of work a little bit for the rest of the discussion. And uh, Alex, I'll, I'll turn it back to you as you. I was going to ask the same thing. So we're on the, we're on the same page. Um, I think one of the, the best ways that I think about what deep linking is and is you get served an ad in somewhere you're on you're on mobile you're on a website and you click an ad and it shows you a product like let's say you're trying to you're trying to buy some shoes and it'll take you to the app store it will help you you'll let you open the app install install the app create an account and then drop you into that product so you, and then also on the on the back end for the marketer will show the install and then continue that attribution through to the product. And if you convert, it'll, take, it'll allow you to see that full conversion from clicking the ad in the, wherever you were, uh, and then finally installing and converting into that, which I think previously, as if I remember correctly from Branch Out 2017, that was, that was where the, it was broken. And you couldn't make that connection between clicking the ad, installing, and then, um, and then making that conversion back to that Add at the beginning. Yeah. So, I thought that was very, very impressive. Uh, even just to take you to, from from an ad that shows a specific product to the product page without losing the the middle. So, so that was uh, th that was the capability sort of unlocked uh, by your acquisition of Tune uh, and bringing these yep. two um, things together. You could you could now drive people to the desired product or app and then provide measurement back to the source of origination and, and do proper credits into your media um, media channel yeah basically um and and we acquired tune but we actually built we built the technology in-house which i think some people don't know um because tune was very app only measurement focused mm -hmm. so we felt like the technology that we built was cross app and we used we did do things differently so in the end, we actually never actually used the tune technology. We built our own, but we acquired all the customers, um, which was also kind of a less widely known fact. That's interesting. What was a customer acquisition play? Mm. Um, what are um, what are the things that, you know as you think back to your eight year journey? Um, what do you consider to be sort of the game changers for clients? Like things that maybe in your in your product offering or your pitch that kind of clicked for them? And, uh, you know, were there also things that you thought were going to be home runs and they end up end up not being as um, widely adopted as you were thinking? So kind of two sides of this of this question. Yeah, I would say like, actually, you know, our best products are were built, like especially on our paid side. I think on our linking side, uh, basically like making sure our links always work has always kind of been our motto and that has been the thing that has helped us um building links that always work and you don't have to worry about so even if there's major changes in the industry we will deal with the repercussions of that you don't need to change anything we will keep maintaining like i've seen developers who maybe would want to build linking in-house but they don't want to maintain it and I think understanding how much the, sh the ecosystem shifts and how much maintenance work you need to do has been really interesting. 
Uh, so I think that's been uh, one. And I think on the paid side, what's been kind of interesting is the fact that we actually, most of our paid products is we saw how, we watch how customers were using our links and then build easier products. So we noticed that people are trying to take people from email into the app and actually Universal Links kind of broke that. So we built an integration with all the ESPs to make that possible. Or we saw that people are using our links in, in web banners to take people inside the app. So build a whole product where you can go and A-B test and design your web banners. So you don't need any developers. So it's a lot easier. But it's something that we saw people you know, do first. We saw people use our links and referrals. So you could build like really cool referral experiences from user to user. So build a whole product around that. So everything that we did was really kind of watch how people are using branch and really build like build like platforms and solutions that were kind of modeling those but only better so very much listening listening through observation and iterating yeah. your product offering based on that cool yeah you saw people trying to hack 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 things together yeah exactly your tech, and and you're like you know what if you're going to do that let me just give it to you in a better way <laughs> Try to build a, like a link marketplace at one point. That did not work, and that was just an idea. We did not see anyone. You know, that was a really interesting. Like that was, it's really interesting how the things that come up in a vacuum, ideas that come in a room never really work, and ideas that you see people do or you for, you know, you feel yourself as a pain work a lot better. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that when you say link. You know, you're always gonna make links that work. And you know, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, the Simon Sinek uh, with you know, start with why, it feel it very much feels like you know the core essence of what branch has to deliver on, and if something does not deliver on that, you you know you're almost in your right mind to say no, we're not going to do that. That's not part of what we do. That's not part of who we are. And just sort of like your you know, as co-founder to have someone who's like quite very clearly defining what it is that you should be doing so you can say no to things that you shouldn't be doing that's quite a imp impressive thing because you see a lot of people try and be everything to everyone and do not a lot of it very well which kind of takes me into your different roles at branch you know your co-founder managing director vp of marketing um, how do you manage all of your different roles i'm sure that you have a lot of different types of meetings you have to be in a lot of different types of teams you have to manage. How do you manage sort of your, you know, you're wearing three hats and sort of what leadership style do you have and do you bring to the table for everyone? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I, I do wear multiple hats, but um, the two that I find myself spending the most time on, um, maybe you're right, there are three. I think as a founder, uh, we do make certain decisions as co-founders and we have, we still at this point have founder meetings. Like they're not very, you know, it's like once a month, but we usually talk about people and culture and what we want the soul of the company to be. It's a very high level strategy. Um, and I think on that side, I kind of lead with the other hat that I wear, which is really like my culture hat. So I tend to get very involved in culture, but I don't actually have any people that report to me on that side. I work closely with the, um, with the people team, but they don't actually report to me. Uh, and I'm more like, a, I would say they probably use me more like an advisor or expert than they would as like a, um, a leader or a manager. And I think I tend to have a lot of thoughts and ideas, but they're the ones who actually execute. 
uh, and I do help sometimes like I will write things and you know our last our values is something that I own and our mission those are things that I work but I did a lot of iterations and talked to a lot of people and those are projects that I basically just took on um, I employ branding like what makes brand, brand different so those I consider almost like my individual work and then I also lead the marketing team which that's more like I'm basically like acting I mean I am just a VP and I um, I, I set goals, but I have a very strong leadership team on marketing. So I actually don't spend, I probably spend 50, 60% of my time on the marketing side. And it's usually around like setting strategy, reviewing things. And they get, then I usually get in depth on things that I'm very good at and kind of stay away from things I'm not that good at. So I'm much better. I'm good at like creating content. Um, I'm good at like, really thinking about the higher level strategy, coming up with new in- and testing new initiatives, like the event that we just had in Hawaii. That was something that I wanted to try out and it was one of our f- big bets this year. Um, and then on things like processes or even our budget, our VP of Dimension actually owns the budget and I work with him and I obviously make the final approvals, but it's more like his ownership than mine. Uh, so I think that's that's been uh, having strong leaders under you allows you to do a lot more individual work in areas that you really like, which for me is culture. You know, I um, I just made a note. Um, I'd love to come back uh, to you uh, to this question of, of culture um, towards the end as we get into sharing advice. Um, and uh, we'll spend a bit more time on that. But it's awesome that you're bringing this as kind of one of the core f- core pieces of your of, uh, of of where you spend your day and your week um i th- i think a lot of leaders get lost in the in their what they would consider core business responsibilities um and forget you know for, for forget to even think about culture let, let alone you know help drive it forward so i'd love to put a pin into it come back and discuss this in a little yeah, bit, in a little bit more uh, length um Mara, um as we uh before we get into the branches as a brand and how and how you guys approach marketing i can't help but ask um i mean to me um it mobile has always felt like um an area that was evolving in its own right and in its own way but uh, kind of you know trailing the desktop or the general web space um by by a few years um it, it has its own path at this point obviously but i think about the desktop space or the general web space and there was a lot of consolidation across both ad tech and MarTech, um, you know, in the last decade, between 2012, 2018, I want to say there were a lot of independents, um, you know, whether DSPs or DMPs or, um, you know, measurement solutions and big tech companies essentially gobble, uh, gobbled up all, all of those uh, indies and uh, built out their marketing clouds through these acquisitions. You think about Oracle or Adobe or even mm-hmm. Google, right? Um, do you see this trend repeating itself with, uh, with mobile? Um, do you see it? Um, do you see mobile charting a different course? Honestly, I don't know. Um, I think it's very possible. I think in general, it will depend on the ability of mobile platforms to stand on their own, and the evolution of mobile. Um, I do agree that there's not like going to be a lot of different you know, mobile marketing platforms or cross-platform marketing platforms. And I don't think the more traditional platforms are doing a good job transitioning to mobile. So I think we are seeing a new 
wave of cross-platform mobile um, marketing tools, including Branch. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see if there is a consolidation. I mean, many of them are going public. Um, you know, we've had the amplitudes of the world. And so we're actually, um, we're seeing many of them actually still live on their own. And because mobile has been so big, they've been able to like actually go and, and go to go public without having to be acquired. I think the question will be some of the IPOs that have happened recently have not been that successful. So what's next? Will there, will there be, will they like go back up as the market recuperates and will they exist alone or will be they get acquired in the long term? I, I think that we will see more consolidation as a space. That's my, my bet. Are you seeing, are you seeing sort of the big traditional technology companies sniffing, s sniffing around this landscape and trying to, you know, learn, um, you know, what to do and how to think about this. I'm specifically talking about, you know, the, you know, the Googles, the Oracles, the, the, the ones who, who dumped billions into this and now have this huge gap. I think, you know, Google, they're obviously build their yeah. own mobile attribution. Google is a competitor. They're not really going after the big companies. They have their own ecosystem we don't see that they control. They have their own, they, they go after more smaller developers. And we've seen companies kind of like go graduate from Google products to branch the, and, and think a branch of more enterprise solution. But I think the question is like, will they want to go? Um, I, I think it's TBD. Okay, we'll see. TBD on this one. So I'd, <laughs> I'd love to, to take what we were talking about before about branch and, and marketing and, and pivot into that one. Cause I think that's a, uh, a very interesting uh, topic on how you think about branch, how you establish yourself as branch as a brand and how you, you know, like you said, if you don't stay nimble, you'll be left behind. You know, you're in a very competitive space with some yeah. very competitive competitors. Yes, very competitive. Very competitive competitors. We all know who, who you're talking about. <laughs> um, how how do you differentiate yourself how do you make sure that you stay differentiated with with the you know with your mmp and deep linking um as branch yeah i think you know when we think about some of our uh extremely aggressive competitors we came from different spaces we came from the organic and linking space and they came from the more mmp uh space and i think they focused on app only and we really focused on the cross-platform so I think as we're converging uh, from a product perspective, we're really focusing on the big differences, which is, you know, our linking that does, uh, we've done a lot of tests and it's, it does a lot better in our, in our organic experiences. Um, and we, you know, we always lead with our, you know, our, our product differentiation, which is, I would say, quite superior on the organic and experience side. Uh, when it comes to marketing, we definitely have a very different approach. I think um, we've we don't spend a lot of money on marketing, and we've not had a, you know really big marketing budgets. And my team is quite it's quite small compared to our competitors. So we we are not the you know throw gi giant parties and throw money around at people. Uh, we're very much like I think we have three pillars on the marketing side and. Uh, pillar number one, and we've kind of had those pillars from day one, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, pillar number one is education. 
I think, you know, I was telling, I was saying earlier that like the good marketing comes to stories. So we try to tell education, try to educate people by explaining the market and telling stories about how people have used branch and were successful at that. So we tell those stories in papers and blogs and case studies and the, my podcast and, and in many different, you know, people um, consume content in very different mediums. So we try to do it in very different ways. So stories. And then we also have this newsletter that my coworker Alex Bauer writes. And it's, I would say, um, his like open rate is 40%. And it's just like an incredible, um, goes out to like 300,000 people. It's, it's very good. It's, I, it's I also really good. It. He's a very snarky person. Um, and, and it's really, he spends a lot of time and it really is about education. You will see that he has many times included, when our competitors have had good articles, he's included them in the newsletter. So education is number one. Number two is building relationships. And um, a lot of, we, we think that if you build a relationship with someone, you get to know what their pain points are and you can help them and you can build products and help them. So we, we really build a lot of marketing around this idea that we want to build relationships with people by inviting them to things, by creating good experiences for them, by just taking them out to dinner. So we facilitate that for our, like our sales teams. Um, and we build that mobile growth community where we wanted to bring people together and we still do the events now online, offline. We're actually going back to online in a few weeks. And the last one, which is really interesting, um, we, it's like our magic, I would say is like we are extreme in our measurement. We were very measurement focused from day one and we built uh, B2B measurement is quite hard and you have all these different teams who gets credit for the pipeline or the closed. <laughs> so we built our own system that basically when when an opportunity gets generated, we look at everyone on the opportunity and we look at all their touches across SDRs and AEs and marketing and BD and everything gets points depending on how long the interaction was, how meaningful it was. We had to have like a whole negotiation on what, what gets what points. And then we apply time decay over a year and then we actually split the dollars between every single thing that touched it. So every campaign that touched touches um, an opportunity, uh, every SDR email, every BD introduction gets points. So then we can compare everything. So when it comes to, you know, what are we going to do? Um, what, you know, do ads work? Does this, did this blog post, gen, blog post generate any pipeline? We always know. So we spend every quarter, we spend a few days analyzing all our data, figuring out what works and what doesn't and cutting the things that don't work and doubling down on the things that work. So I think that has helped us be very efficient with a quite small and nimble team. I think, I think it's, uh, you know, the saying the plumber's toilet is never fixed. I think you've taken that the opposite way of if you're going to be an attribution company yeah. and you're going to, you're, you're going to be really good at doing your own attribution yourself. Otherwise, That's otherwise kind of how are you going to know? Otherwise, um, how are we going to know? Like, you know, I've seen in many companies that the SDRs get credit for the opportunity and everyone gets credit. And in our case, no, everything gets broken down and everything ends up to 100%. There is no double counting. <laughs> but I have, a, I, I have sort I, of, I want to dig on this because it's fascinating. Uh, this, I mean, I'm sure this ties into education as well, the measurement piece. Uh, you're approaching companies with established ways of, um, of seeing the world, of seeing how their business flows. So, um, yeah. I, I want to ask about education uh, separately, but how do you how do you instill this this new framework for di distributed credit 
um, into an organization? It, you know, are they resistant? Do you have to spend a lot of time and kind of? No, we, we don't. Branch doesn't. This is for B2B. So our internal attribution system is different. This is for you. Branch this is, is how B2B. you are doing this and measuring yourself. This is how we're doing right. it in-house. And our, you know, the way Branch works, uh, Branch does have a multi-touch system that you can implement using because we do track all the different touches. And you could build a system like this in-house. But I think it's up to companies to use that um, to build their own attribution. We basically, we use this, so the data that we use comes from a B2B tool. And then we assign the points and things like that on the touches. But we had to do that. You can't like really build this in-house. We had to build our own system. Uh, and I think it's kind of similar. We, we give that same type of data that's cross-platform to our customers. And they're able to see, to either able to use last touch, they're able to use multi-touch. It's kind of really up to them. Uh, but it's not, it is different because the majority of our customers are B2C, meaning there is only one person that they have to look. They don't look across opportunities. They don't just don't think that way. And we, we are not, we build this for ourselves, but we are not a B2B attribution platform. Interesting. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Um, I was reading it the other way, but... On the topic of education, uh, do you talk, uh, how much time do you spend talking to people inside of brands versus um, their agencies? I would say probably 80%. 80% brands. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we do have a BD team and we do talk to agencies, but in general, so the interesting thing about branch is we are not just marketing and attribution. We are also about half the people buying branch are using usually has a product who bring branch to a company to build, fix the linking experience and to build a new experience. They usually work on their own and not at agencies. And we've also seen a huge shift in the maybe five years ago, a lot of companies, the app was owned by an agency. And now a lot of those brands build the company in house and maybe the acquisition is owned by an agency, but sometimes they use branch to get like a second, you know, they work, they are in the dashboard and the agency is, so we see brands also using. It's very rare that only an agency uses branch. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that agencies are either users or contributors to the thought process. Um, I think, Alex, in your, yeah, in your my experience, although a little bit dated at this point from an agency standpoint, um, is um, just seemed like a general knowledge gap uh, on the agency side, as well as uh, some of the brands that were trying to get into the mobile space on what the ecosystem looked like in general and how to think about it. A lot of sort of legacy approaches borrowing from the desktop world. Um, do you see that uh, gap closing um, as you are educating um, more and more marketers or do you still feel like it's, uh, it's a huge un, uh, you know, unaddressed problem? And that's for you, Mata, question. Sorry, can you repeat the do question? You see, do you see the knowledge gap kind of uh, closing um, as you've been putting putting a lot of this education material forward and as your competitors, I'm sure, have done as well? Or do you still feel like this is a, you know, this is a barrier that uh, marketers don't really grasp um, the, you know, the I foundation of, of, of mobile measurement and marketing? I think marketers are grasping it. I think the changes are very hard to sometimes grasp like so when i think about education and i think some of our best things is you know like 
Alex on our team, Alex Bauer, who you read his newsletter, he spent probably 20, 30 hours looking at everything that Apple introduced on private relay and I was 15 and then he spent time with our product team understanding how it would impact branch and how it would impact the ecosystem and then he then took all of that and educated the market on the meaning so they didn't have to go and spend the 30 hours that he spent so while the basic stuff people know it but not there's a lot of like newer more in-depth topics that you know we the ecosystem keeps changing so you know we're already preparing for the next WWDC that's coming in, I think, six weeks. So it feels like we just kind of finished adapting to the last one. Our products are stable. Everything's good. And we're ready for the next storm. They're going to ruin the next one. <laughs> I think when when we were at, in our previous lives uh, working in mobile performance, I think for me the main difference in the knowledge gap were the brands that were suddenly created or acquired an app and then they had to figure out how to how to market it or how to do marketing in mobile versus the ones that were mobile first that you know came to market as an app and i think they they really understood what they needed to know because that was their you know that was their livelihood that's where the revenue came from the app was the only thing that they could use compared to i don't know legacy you know legacy company creates a new streaming service that is an app first and then suddenly you have these legacy marketers who have done tv and billboards and now they have to try and figure out how to use an app and how to like make sure that the performance is working i think that that for me is where i saw the main difference between the knowledge gap but i think as you said it's it's shrinking now because most you know almost everyone has to know at least some of it and how it works uh, in order to to do their job properly now because most most uh, apps have been built for these legacy companies that they need to be running. Yeah. Um, I think I'd love to, we know that you don't do a lot of advertising, you know, paid advertising, but your relationship building is one of your core pillars. Um, I think that is really important. And you said you had you had an event last week. I know you've run, uh, you did monthly in-person events. I know there was one in LA um, that yeah. we, we were there a few times. Um, how did that get impact? Well, one, how did that perform for you? I mean, you did a lot of them, so they must've done really well, but then COVID hit. How did that then impact you with the shift to, uh, to online? Uh, yeah, I mean, we used to do about 100 a year. We've had years where we've done, like, I think there was a year when we did, like, two, two or 300. But we used, like, evangelists and none. We, we decided they're better when they're high quality. So we ran them all when we had, like, 100. Um, they performed really well. Um, it was a way to build relationships. And many of our both speakers and attendees became customers and um I would say moving them online, they still perform well, but we can't do as many. And um, it's been a lot harder to get speakers. It's interesting because I didn't think it would be harder to get speakers, but it is. And I just don't, it's been hard for me to understand why, because you now can get speakers from all over the country and like, but people are less responsive and it's just very different than it used to be uh, when it was in person. Um, so I think that's been interesting. So we adapted, but 
the volume has decreased significantly when we do them online. So we moved into doing a lot more targeted things, like a lot more webinars and things that are very targeted to topics and have the more general events be less frequent. Um, so, and then we had to come up with like other ways. And I honestly, it's amazing when you can bring people together. So, you know, we've still done some dinners recently. Uh, the event in Hawaii was fantastic. We brought about 60 people, 60 leaders in mobile together. And uh, it's been really cool, but it's definitely taken, it hasn't been easy. Yeah, I think the um, the the way you can bring people together around the topic and you can do the same topic in different cities. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, like you said, you can get speakers from all over the country, but if you can't mingle with them pre and post event, uh, it makes it more difficult to um, to give your time um if it's just like in front of your screen so i feel like that must have been really difficult for a lot of you know both your you know your sales and marketing folks as well as the the people who would typically attend the events because i know a lot of people would go there to listen to the speakers and get that information and then just like oh hey i'm working on this type of thing i heard you talking to someone else about that and you just don't get that interaction so i feel like you don't get there's like three or four different things that are happening at one event um which makes it difficult to replicate online, which I think everyone has, has found in the last two years. Can't believe it's been two years. Um, I think we're I think we're nearly at time now. Uh, so I would love to to jump to the advice to to marketers and then uh, back to that note on culture if we if we if we can. Maybe we start with the culture one uh, first. Yeah. Uh, uh I'll actually start with the marketer one because I think that's easier. Okay. All right, let's go then. I, I want to end with the culture because I felt incredibly passionate about that. Mm-hmm. I think the note to marketers is I think it's really hard in this environment to know what's going to work. So I have been very wrong. I've also been very right. Uh, but I have learned that while I have very good instincts, I'm often wrong. So... I would say when it comes to marketing, you should, if someone has an idea and they're passionate about them, let them test it. Just make sure you measure it. And if it works, let them scale it. So I think the most important thing is that you have good measurement. And the second most important thing is that you just keep testing and keep building because everything's changing and things that were really exciting become stale. So you need to be creative and innovate, but you can only do that if you can measure. Uh, And I would, you know, my, I, I don't, go for big budgets unless I have some sort of like signal that something's going to work and and uh, and always have a test budget or like a new 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 channels budget because I think you know testing and keep iterating is incredibly important on the culture side uh, I have a lot of advice I think first of all I think you have to start early I've seen friends who have companies that are 100 people and now they're struggling to define their culture because when you were 50 or 100, it was hard when we were four because we had very different personal values. So coming up with our existing values and what branch was going to be as a place to work was hard enough with four people who had an opinion. Imagine like 50 or 100. And I think the earlier you start, you might think, oh, my God, we don't need to worry about this. We need fundraising and we need all these things. As soon as you hire your first employee, you need it because you, uh, uh, you need something. You need to see if they fit or not with who you are. And I think the other advice here is don't try to please everyone. I think it's very important that 
you define what your culture is and understand that some people might not like it. And that's actually okay because you don't want those people. So in our case, uh, we look for, uh, we have like four things we look for in people. We look for smart, collaborative, uh, humble, and driven people. And we have fired people because even though they were smart and driven and very good at their jobs, but they were assholes. We have let we have let people go in the past because they didn't fit our culture. And we actually screen for that in interviews and we try to look for people who have those qualities. And it's just like, I think for me, uh, and a branch is an intense place to work. We're extremely flexible. So it's not, you're not going to come here and no one's going to expect that you work a certain amount of hours. But it's not a place where you're just going to kind of coast. And if you're looking for a place where you have a lot of free time, this is not the place for you. And I think sometimes in interviews, people try to like say, oh, no, it's, this is amazing. And you'll have uh, all this time. And it's, it's not like that. We're in taste. We're trying to change the mobile ecosystem. So we're looking for people who are driven and want to have the same thing, but know that they'll have all the flexibility they need to take care of all their personal stuff. So we, we just kind of like you need to define that. And, and be okay. And, and other cultures, like I love the Netflix even wrote a book about their culture. And we have some things that are the, like the Netflix books book and some things that aren't. So we all read the book and we're like, oh, these things work. These things really are not like branch. Uh, but, you know, like the people who identify with the Netflix culture, we now go and work there. And it's not for everyone. A hundred percent. If you read that book, you'll like. So I've read it. It's a really good book. It's a good book. Really good book. Uh, Mara, on, that, on this uh, topic of culture, um, how do you merge cultures when acquisitions happen because some of our listeners might be working for companies that are being acquired others that might be working for companies you don't. so how do you approach that you one 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 culture wins there is no merging how, of do you, cultures. how do you, how do you explain that to the culture the, the the group where the you know that's being absorbed and say where the culture is on the losing you i mean the same way you do it to new hires so when new hires join i Myself and my co-founders, we all do sessions. So Alex talks about the vision and vision uh, and the big long-term company plans. Mike talks about the norms and I talk about our culture. And I explain the culture, I talk about... But then the culture... No. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We, uh, we, we ran out of time. <laughs> um, that's all the time that, that, yeah. the doggy was going to give us. No, let me, let me get her. Sorry. The neighbor, he gets crazy. Okay, okay, okay. Chillax. Okay. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay. She's she's cool. What was it? Well, where was I? Because this was the last question. Uh, anyway. you, um, how the the three different founders kind of address the three different. Oh yeah, we. So I think the three different founders, we each do um, a session. Uh, we each do a session, one on culture, one on norms, one on, on vision, and we basically, like, we try to indoctrinate people. But then our culture is actually, you know, like, the definition of culture, I think I'm using Ben Horowitz, I'm copying his thing, is like what people do when you're not looking. So the way you enforce culture is through the way you do reviews, through the way you shout out people at all hands, um, through, you know, like if collaboration is important, you shouldn't give shout outs at all hands to people who go and do something on their own and step on other people to get to their goal. You should give shout outs for people who sacrifice themselves for the good of the team. So there's just a lot of ways that you then enforce it. 
And when you acquire a company, some people will fit into your new culture. And we have, you know, I have some people from Tune on my team that are amazing. They've been with Branch for, I think, three or four years. But also some people didn't work out and felt like this was not either we or they felt that this was not the culture for them. And it just didn't work out. But I and I think it is possible to merge cultures, but I have never seen it. And in our case, it didn't work. And I, you know, if you read this book called Four Frogs on a Log, um, talks about mergers and how the majority of mergers don't well work well. And it's usually because of culture. That's a really good uh, way to, I think, end our episode. Some really incredible advice and an incredible story of uh, how you guys started and uh, where you ultimately ended up. Uh, so, Mata, really appreciate you coming onto the show, um, talking to us about not just mobile yeah. marketing, but also business leadership, culture, uh, what we just finished on, and in general, just sharing uh, sharing the fascinating story of your, of your company's uh, growth. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was extremely fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much.